You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we continue a series that we actually launched at the end of our last series. The day that we ended a series, we launched one on the same day, first time I'd done that. But they perfectly interweave with each other. As we wrapped up Ephesians 6, the last part talks about... um, a spiritual war, that we are currently in a, a war, an unseen war in an unseen world of the supernatural. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle or our battle, the war that we are in, is not against flesh and blood, it's not against the physical world, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are not alone We are in a spiritual battle. Now, today we're going to talk about angels and demons. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably what most people think of the devil. Isn't this lovely? So I'm going to put this on here. So when a lot of people, when they think of the devil, this is what comes to mind. I mean, we saw a lot of these this last week, uh, Halloween. And, uh, you know, we think, well, this is the devil. It's kind of scary. It's our nightmares. And, and so when we get images of the evil one or the enemy uh, or Satan, this is what comes to mind. Uh, but it actually, he, he looks a little bit more like this. He looks less like this and more like this. He's actually invisible. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. You know, only 68% of people believe that he is real. Now, That might seem like a high number, but that number is actually going down every year. Today, we're going to unmask his influence. Today, let's make Satan uncomfortable. We're going to go through a lot of information today. So this is, I'm going to encourage you to pull out your phones and get ready to take pictures on the screen because we're going to hit a lot of things today. And I want to make sure that you guys can can kind of, you know, Go through this a little bit more on your own because we're not going to spend a lot of time on on this, but we're going to fly through. So we're going to talk about the spiritual beings that that we are at war. Think about this. There's a spiritual war, and our war is against angels, against fallen angels. So as we unpack what an angel is and what a demon is, we're going to go through. Now, this is what a lot of people think of an angel. They think... (laughs) <laughs> this is like precious moments type. When you think of angels, you think of like cute little, you know, children and with halos and, and, and wings and that sort of thing. Um, almost fairy-like, you know. Um, when you think of cherub, you think of maybe these little, these little fat little baby dudes, you know, and, and a guardian angels. And it's kind of interesting how uh, the majority of, of angels in a lot of art, uh, they're women, which is interesting because the Bible is, is doesn't, doesn't imply that whatsoever. But what we're going to do is hopefully clear up some misunderstandings about the unseen world and give you a biblical perspective. Um, they're all around us, by the way. Hebrews 13.2 says this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. They're all around us. And sometimes they're, they're even in our presence, and we don't even know that they're in our presence, that they're even around us. So today we're going to look at what their purpose is and where demons came from. They're actually angels as well. 
So let's clarify why angels are even uh, exist, why they even exist. The first thing is angels were created as worshipers of God. They were created to, to give God glory, to, to reflect his glory. Their primary role is to reflect the goodness of God Almighty. The Lord God Almighty, he created them uh, as an expression of his greatness, and they are to reflect that in their life and in their being. A second reason that they were created is they were created not only for worship, but they were created as warriors of God. These are very strong, very powerful created beings, spirits. In fact, the Bible says they're so strong that a single angel is able to take on armies of people. You know, probably one of the most popular warring angels in the Bible is an angel called Michael. Maybe you've heard of Michael, the archangel. He was a warring angel mentioned in the Bible more than once. So not only are they created as worshipers, not only are they created as warriors, but they're also created as workers for God. And this is a big part of what they do. The word angel literally means a messenger or someone who's a courier or a worker for God. So you have messengers, directors, protectors, and ministers all under the work of God. They're here to encourage us, to serve us, to help us as a, as a worker, as someone who is, who is doing the work of God on his behalf in the affairs and lives of people. Now, here's a few angel basics to clarify, because a lot of people think uh, some misunderstandings about angels. So let's, let's quickly clarify uh, clarify a few things. First of all, angels always are referred to with a masculine pronoun. That means they're never referred to as a woman. They're always referred to as a male. Now, that does not mean that they are men because angels are non-sexual. That means they don't have genders, but they are all masculine in nature. This is important because they're not human beings. They don't have reproductive organs. They're not a male or female. They are a spirit without a body of flesh and blood. However, they're always referred to in the masculine sense. Also, the Bible says that they can temporarily take on human form. That's why the Bible says be aware because they might be around you, a stranger or somebody else around you. We see this all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, they temporarily can take on human form, but yet they don't keep a human form because they are spirit beings. And by the way, this is why the Apostle Paul said, test every spirit, test every angel by what they say about Jesus. This is how you know if a spirit or an angel is of the Lord, what they say about Jesus if they deny that Jesus is God in the flesh, then that is a demonic spirit, not a, an angelic or a godly spirit. But they do sometimes appear in human form. The Bible also says that they show emotions and that they exercise will. Now, that's a mystery of the scriptures, but that's what the Bible says. That's where we got probably the greatest, you know, uh, uh, rebellion in the history of the universe is one particular angel we're going to talk about in a minute that chose to seek his own glory. And then here's the uh, next thing is that um, human beings do not become angels. If you've ever uh, lost someone that you love, my mother passed away and, you know, she's not an angel. She's, she's a believer in Jesus Christ and she's in heaven as my mom, as Diana Blair. And she is not an angel. Angels are a completely different created being. You 
will never be an angel. When you die, if you're right with Jesus, if you're a child of God, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. If you're not, then you'll face the judgment of God and what will follow. But when you go to heaven, you're not going to be an angel. You'll be you. That's what Jesus said. You're going to be known as you are, and you're going to be you, all right? But you're never going to be an angel. They're completely different beings altogether. And here's the last thing is that we are never to pray to angels, never. Jesus alone is our mediator between uh, God and, and mankind. You're never to pray for an angel or to an angel. Uh, this is not what we are called to do. We are, in fact, angels are very, very particular about receiving that kind of uh, attention and glory. And in fact, that was one of the reasons why the Great Rebellion uh, happened is because a particular angel wanted that attention, wanted that worship, wanted that affection. Uh, John, the revelator in, John Re in, uh, in the book of Revelation, began to bow down to, to the angels and they, they uh, rebuked him and said, only Jesus is the one that you should worship and, and adore and pray to. So that's the gist, the basics, 101, angels 101, the good guys. Now let's talk about the bad guys, okay? Now this is pictures of Satan. <laughs> this is when we think of Satan, this is kind of what we get. We get either a goofy dude with a, with a pitchfork and horns, or we get this like overly, you know, embellished, red, you know, horned, multi-creature being. He always seems to have a beard, which... Um, or a goatee, so you don't want to grow a goatee because you might look like the devil, I guess. Uh, but we have this image of the devil. And by the way, none of this is in the Bible. This image, none of these pictures, none of these descriptions of the devil are in the Bible. In fact, it's just the opposite. He was actually quite beautiful. We're going to get to that in a minute. His name it has a variety of names. Throughout the Bible, he's called many different things. His titles reflect the aspects of his work. Here's some of the names, and you can take a picture of this, check it out later. It's in your notes as well. Uh, he's, uh, he's called Abaddon and Apollyon, which is the word destroyer. He's called the destroyer. He's called the accuser, the adversary. He's referred to as Beelzebub, Belial, the great dragon, the deceiver, the enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, the false god of the world, the, the false ruler of the world, the lawless one, the murderer, the morning star, which is translated Lucifer. He's also called the tempter. He's called the prince of the power of the air, and he's called the great serpent, Satan, and the devil. In fact, Jesus refers to him 25 times, and it's important to understand this. Jesus is, is giving us clarity on the existence of a very real being, and he's not some, you know, red-horned, uh, you know, tailed being. He's actually someone who's very real. He's not a metaphor for evil. He exists. He exists. He's the enemy of God and an enemy of God's people and all that God loves. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, We are to know his tactics, we are to know his schemes, and we are to anticipate his work so that we can live in victory rather than as victims. So that is why we're covering this ground. You need to know the enemies. So let's pull the curtain back behind the devil. Let's talk about the devil for a little bit, find out where he came from and uh, who he is. First thing, and I'm going to reiterate this a lot, is number one, Satan is not equal to the Lord God. He is not equal. 
He is, he is not uh, in some kind of deadlock with God. You know, it's not like, man, you know, it's, man, it's like an arm wrestling match, and it's like a deadlock, and it's equal powers. But we know that at the end, Jesus will win. See, that's the idea that we often get. It's, man, it's a deadlock, and if we just pray more, believe more, trust more, we'll tip the scale. And somehow, if we just keep faith that God will win. Listen, he's already won. He is already one. We're going to circle back to that. God Almighty is omniscient. That means he knows all things exhaustively. The devil doesn't know anything. All right? He is a single being without omniscience. God is omnipresent. That means he's uh, simultaneously everywhere, exhaustively, all at one time. That's God. The devil is a created being, which we're going to talk about in a second. He is not omnipresent. He can only be singly present in one place. And God is omnipotent. That means that God is able to do whatever he wills to do, and there's nothing that can stop him. However, the devil is not all-powerful, is not omnipotent. Jesus is that God of eternity in the flesh, and the devil is in no way a contender, or uh, he, he, is, he is a creation, not a counterpart. It's important that we remember this when we talk about the devil. The devil is in no way equal. We have this image that somehow the God is on the throne in heaven and that the devil is on the throne in hell and that we don't want to go to hell. I was a part of a church that used to put on these, these Halloween programs called a hell house. And we would transform buildings into a, a hell experience where they would go through rooms of death, and they were horrifying. We would try to make these rooms as, as dark and as, as violent as possible, suicide rooms, party overdose, uh, overdose rooms, funeral. Uh, some We never did, but some churches did. It would have a, even an abortion room and all these places. And, and, and then after you experience all these scenes of death in this hell house, you then go to hell. Right, you. We would put you in a coffin and hammer the coffin shut. The back of the coffin would open up, and we would deck out the hall and the and the rooms into hell. You know, it was like hardcore thrasher music, red lights, and people screaming and in chains. And you're walking, and people are grabbing at you like zombies and stuff. And you make your way down the hall, and you turn the corner, and then there's the devil on a throne, and he'd have a microphone on. We did this, and and he'd have a speaker, and he'd go, Oh, you're mine now. You know, and they were like, No, I don't want to go to hell. You know, we were trying to scare the hell out of him, literally. And, and we, we thought we were doing God's work, but what we were doing is portraying a very inaccurate view of the devil. Because the devil is not on a throne, and he is not in hell. He's here on the earth seeking whom he may devour. And it's important that you realize that Satan doesn't rule over hell. He doesn't rule over anything. He's not a ruler. He is a fallen Angel, he's a fallen creation, and Jesus rules over all things. Not some things, not part things, not future things. Jesus currently now rules over all things. Satan's final place will be in hell. He doesn't want to go there. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil 
and his angels. You see, hell was prepared and created as a place of judgment for those that rebel against God. It was a place designed for the devil and fallen angels and those apart from Christ will wind up there as well. He doesn't want you to go there. He made a way for you to get out. His name is Jesus Christ, but the devil doesn't want to go there either. But there's hope for you. There's no hope for him. Jesus paid the, the ultimate sacrifice of the cross for our sins, but he didn't die for the sins of the devil and he didn't die for the sins of the fallen angels. Their destiny is hell without any options. He's not there now and he's going to try to drag as many of you as possible to that place as well. Scripture says that he lives on earth. God did not contract hell out to Satan. He didn't have an interview with hell, say, uh, with, with the devil, say, you know, let me, I, don't, we're, I know we're not friends, devil, but I got this really bad place, and I'm looking for someone who's evil to run it. Are you up to it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? All right, well, you mind your business in hell. I'm on my business in heaven, and you can have, what it, have whatever I give you, and just they're yours to torment and all that. That's, that's this phony picture that we get. It's not biblical. Scripture says he lives on the earth seeking out you until his judgment. So, second thing I want you to know is that Satan is a created being, created by God. God created Satan, but he wasn't always Satan. He is a creation, not a counterpart. There's only one creator. Everything else is a creation. Satan is a created spirit being, a powerful angel who committed treason with the creator and seeks to destroy all that God loves. This is how Ezekiel tells the story. Ezekiel 28 Verse 12, it says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Man, the devil was not some red, horned, you know, tailed, big tooth, pointy-eared, scary dude. The Bible says he was perfect in beauty. Man, the devil is beautiful. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. And then he goes through a list of these precious stones. He says, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Some will say that, that, that they interpret this as Satan being some kind of like walking crystal. But actually, this is a reference to his apparel, the things that he wore. He was prepared to adorn and to wear the beauty of God's creation in him, to reflect through these jewels God's glory. You were anointed as a cherub, as a guardian. A cherub is not a fat little baby, but one of the most powerful angels that God ever created. They're not naked little babies. They're the best of the best. The word anointed means winged, which means he made you winged, which doesn't mean he literally had wings. Many believe that that word winged means he had great majesty, great power, great glory, like like the, like the birds of the air, he just, his, his glory was, was magnificent and could soar. He says, so I ordained you, appointed you. You were on the holy mount of God. That means he dwelled in the very presence of God. You walked among the fiery stones. That is a reference to the throne of God. Created to glorify and serve God. He hung out in the throne area of the Lord God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. 
Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence. Because of his rebellion and pride, he traded his created design in for his own pursuits. Listen to this. He says, you sinned, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you. Guardian cherub from among the fiery stones. That means I cast you from my throne room. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Notice it says it became proud on account of your beauty. He thought he was something. He gloried in himself, deceiving himself into thinking that he was better than he was. He was the definition of narcissism. He says, so God says, speaking through Ezekiel, he says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. That means even the great people are laughing at you. Cast not only from the throne room, but from heaven itself. He grew arrogant, prideful, rebellious, and independent. Write this down. Satan is motivated by pride and self-glory. Satan is the enemy of humility. One of the most powerful weapons in opposing God's plan and people is arrogant pride and self-reliance. In fact, most people, they either think they're too good to need God or too independent or feel like they're strong enough and that this is all, I don't need God and I definitely don't need your help and I've got it all together. I can handle this on my own. I can do this. That is pride and self-reliance. That is a tool motivated by the enemy himself. Some of you in this room are Satanists. Look around. Look around the room. See if you can pick out who they are. When I say Satanists, it means a practical Satanist. Let me explain to you. I've got some quotes from the Church of Satan website, and this is what they say. To us, Satan is the symbol that best suits the nature of who we are uh, Carnal by birth, that we are carnal by birth. Um, people who feel no battles raging between our thoughts and our feelings, who do not embrace the concept of a soul imprisoned in a body, Satan represents to us pride, liberty, and individualism. Qualities often defined as evil by those who worship external deities, us, who feel there is a war between their minds and their emotions. That's what we're talking about. Goes on to say this, says, as, La as Anton LaVey explained in the Satanic Bible, he said, man, using his brain, invented all the gods. Since the Satanist understands that all gods are fiction or not true or unreal, instead of bending a knee in worship or seeking friendship or unity with some mystical entity, he, the Satanist, places himself at the center of his own subjective universe as his own highest Value. We Satanists are thus our own gods. And as such, we offer love to those who deserve it and deliver our wrath upon those who seek to cause us or that which we cherish harm. You think, well, that sounds like a lot of people. Well, a lot of people, maybe even yourself, are practical Satanists. Let me let you understand something. Satan doesn't want you to worship him. He doesn't seek your worship, or even for you to believe in him. He is happy if you worship anything, even yourself, other than the Lord God. If that is what you do, he has you. Isaiah gives us more details in Isaiah 14, 11. It says this. It says, all your pomp or all your 
your showmanship, all your, you know, parades and all that kind of thing, all your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. He says, man, you, you now wallow among the dead. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star. The word morning star is the word hellel. It's also the word in Latin, Lucifer. So like if you ever were, wonder where that word comes from, it's the word morning star. It means um, light bearer, and, and it explains it, son of the dawn. Echoed by Jesus in Luke 18, where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He goes on to say, he says, you, morning star, Lucifer, have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. What's the reason for this? Why was he cast from heaven? For this reason, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. It means I'm going to place myself above all of creation, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost. This is Satan's desire, this beautiful, wonderful, majestic creation of God, wanted to elevate himself above God. Listen, that is what people do every day. And, you, and even you as so-called Christians, many of you do that even today. He says, I, I want to put myself on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. It's a reference to uh, um, the throne of God. He says, and I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. A desire to be like God. It was the temptation in the garden, and it's still the temptation today. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. See, when Satan declared war on God, a third of the angels rallied behind him, and they were all cast out. Judged by God for a sin, he was cast down to earth. Revelation says it this way in chapter 12, verse 7. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael, that's the warring angel, and his angels fought against the dragon. That's the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, Satan, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So angels and demons come from the same stock. They are actually the same beings with a different motivation. Write this down. Demons, or sorry, Satan has an army of fallen angels, uh, an army of them. It's important to know that when this happened, a third of the angels went with them at that time. Satan does not have creative power. God does, so that doesn't mean that today Satan has a third of heaven because God could have easily spoken to creation more angels. They can't reproduce themselves, and they can't create. But at the time, a third went. We see what this looks like in Mark chapter 5. So I want to spend the rest of our few minutes in Mark chapter 5. This is a great picture of fallen angels. And take a look at this next slide and take a picture of it. This is the purpose of angels. They do Satan's bidding. They work to inflict pain and suffering on God's creation. They work to paralyze uh, people with fear. And they work, to, they work to lure people from God. They're basically the henchmen of Satan. So let's take a look at how they are in a real story in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. 
they, Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of uh, Geridian, and it's also called Gerasenes, uh, a Gentile region, a place non-Jews hung out in. This was a place that, that uh, was not familiar with Jesus, not familiar with, with Judaism, not familiar with Moses. They were Gentiles. They were people that didn't follow God. And this, we find here that because the devil is not omnipresent, um, the, 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 the Bible implies, particularly in Daniel, uh, in Daniel, that the devil assigns demons to different regions and areas of the world. And uh, we have a, a particular group of demons that were assigned to this region at work. Verse 2, he says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, that's a demon, came from the tombs to meet him. Now, I want you to write this down. Demons are real. Okay? Demon, uh, demons are real. They're real demons. And they, they are active and they are working in the world to do the devil's bidding. Mark 3, this man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. You see, he mistook his freedom for being free, but he, no matter what chains he broke from, he was still in chains spiritually. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I want you to write this down. Demons really do possess people. They really do enter people. Demons can really control people. The, the Bible gives us this example, and we see this around the world. What does demon possession look like? Well, Mark gives us a pretty good description. This is what it says. Uh, sometimes people who are uh, controlled by the devil or demon-possessed have supernatural strength. They're drawn to darkness in places of death. They are antisocial, immodest, personality changes, uncontrollable screams, constantly in pain, tormented, severe depression, paralyzed by fear. They tend to cut themselves or self-harm, aggressive behavior. Demons love to inflict suffering on people and use those people to inflict suffering on others. And they have a counterfeit truth. Listen to this. Be aware, not all of this can be attributed to demons. Sometimes people have mental disorders that are not demonically inspired. Some people have anxieties or depression. They're not demonically inspired. But there are people who are demonically inspired, and this is what it looks like. Now, some of you might go, well, I've never seen it before. How come it doesn't happen like it does in the Bible still? It does. If you travel outside the United States, you'll see demon possession quite often, actually, in South America, in Africa, in parts of Asia and Indonesia, in India, Afghanistan, uh, where you have people who are actively pursuing as an entire culture evil spirits and praying to evil spirits and uh, deeply as a whole culture involved and enveloped in occult activity, you see a lot more demonic activity. And here's the real difference. The strongholds in America are different. You know what the enemy strongholds here are? Selfishness, pride, arrogance, self-reliance. You guys, our culture is a practical Satanist culture. And that ordinary demonic activity is just as dangerous as that supernatural, extraordinary demonic activity. 
Now, we don't know how this man became demon-possessed. Mark 5 does not give us that reason. But there are things that the Bible says do stir up and invite demonic activity. For example, pursuing evil. Doing what the enemy wants invites demonic activity and bondage. Ignoring God's will for your life. Not all demonic activity seems evil. It might even come across as a good feeling or, or a form of love. But pursuing sin outside of God's description of, of your life invites demonic activity. Also flirting with darkness. Write this down. Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12 gives a great description of things that God says are an abomination. And they are include those that practice divination, sorcery, interpret omens, witchcraft, paganism, mediums, fortune tellers, spiritists, people who consult the dead. The Bible says these are an abomination that God opposes or fights or wars against people who involve themselves. For us, that might mean if you're reading your horoscope, if you're going to a fortune-telling person, if you wear and display and enjoy cult symbols, wrap yourself mentally around demonic movies, music, or books, or games, a fascination with darkness and evil, these invite demonic activity into your life. Demonic supernatural lies, such as fortune-telling. Man, the Bible says that God's word is the source of wisdom in our future, not some person, not some charlatan, not some demonically inspired fake on the street corner or in some building downtown. Reincarnation is a lie from the enemy. The Bible says that once we die, that we are appointed to die once, Jesus said, and after that we face God. We don't get to have a cycle of redos. And the Bible also says there are no ghosts. A lot of people think, well, I think that maybe if I die, I'm going to, if I have unfinished business like half the movies about ghosts, that they're going to kind of haunt a house, hang around in a region, or, or kind of uh, stick around their family until there's closure or unless they're, you know, kind of tied up. The Bible says that it is a point of man to die once and then judgment. We will face God after this life, if you're a child of God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're not a child of God, you will face judgment. You don't get to hang out in this earth and on this planet. Now, like demons, I'm sorry, like angels, demons, because they have the same power as angels, can temporarily take on human form. That's the power of every angel. That's the power of every demon. Think about this. Demons are liars. They want to confuse you about life after death. They use their knowledge of people in history to deceive you. Most paranormal activity is fake, but many of it that is real is purely demonic. That's not a, that's not a ghost of Aunt you know, Sally. That's a demon taking on the form of Aunt Sally. That's not your husband. That's not your mom. That is a demon taking on the form of this person. The Bible is clear about this, and we need to let the scriptures give us discernment about what we're seeing. The devil is a liar. Back to the man of the tombs, Mark 5, 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Think about this. Jesus just walked onto the beach. That's all he did. He walked off the boat, and a demon-possessed uh, man ran to him unprovoked, without invitation, threw himself at the feet of Jesus and began to worship Jesus. Satan cannot stop Jesus. He shouted, these demons shouted at the top of his voice, at this man's voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? That means God of all eternity in the flesh. See, 
Write this down. Demons know who Jesus is, and they're afraid. Demons know the identity of Jesus, and they know the identity of followers of Jesus. They understand his power and his prominence. Before Jesus, no one had power over demons. This is big. So now, here comes Jesus. They must obey him. James 2.19 says, it's great that you believe in God, but even the demons do that. And they have enough sense to tremble. Believing in God is not salvation. That's the beginning of the recognition of your need for salvation. So Mark 5 continues in verse 7. It says, in God's name, this demon was saying, don't torture me. This man was crying out, demon possessed. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. The word Legion can be 6,000 plus. That's what it means. The Legion in the Roman uh, language was an army of 6,000 or a regiment. So basically, he says, there's a lot of us in here. Thousands of us are in this person. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Possibly that's the region they were assigned to by Satan, as according to Daniel 10 Verse 11, it says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. This confirms that it was a Gentile region because they had pigs. And the demons begged Jesus, send us into some pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So we know there were at least 2,000 demons, and there might have been more per pig. Maybe that's why the demons uh, caused the pigs to go crazy, and they all committed suicide. Demons want to fill and torment living creatures, not objects. Don't worry about a house. Don't worry about a book. Don't worry about that, 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 that item, things that stir up darkness, fear and anxiety. They are not of God. God is a victor over these things, but the enemy does not desire to possess your wallet, your car, you know, a house, a neighborhood, He wants to possess and work through the lives of people. Okay, we see this example here. Mark 5, 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who was possessed by this legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid of this man who was healed? And I got to thinking about this as I was driving around this week. You know, a lot of us, we just want somebody to blame. We just want, we want to blame our family, our friends, that crazy family member, that crazy coworker, and, and we just want to blame others for the things that are going on in our life. And here's this whole town that said, man, this guy, they just want to blame him for everything. And all of a sudden, now that he's clean in his right mind, they have no one to blame. They, man, who would do this? What do we do now? Who's in charge now? It just turned their whole world upside down. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. You'd think they'd be happy. I want you to write this down. Only Jesus sets people free from the power of the enemy. Only Jesus. It's not your good works, not your good efforts, not your positive confession, not going to church, not, you know, activities that are religious A large part of Jesus' ministry on earth was casting out demons. And you want to know why? Because every time God shows up, demons go running in fear. Maybe you're a person of the tombs today. 
Maybe you are in a dark place. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you're living with a secret pain. Maybe you're crying out at night. Maybe no one can touch you and get to you. And an unseen enemy fills you with shame and has you bound in chains. Let me tell you something. That was me. That was me one time until Jesus walked into the beach of my life. And all my fear and all my anxiety, all my worries, all those uh, bondages, all those chains of insecurity in my life, they dropped off me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's here today. And only Jesus can set you free from the chains of the enemy. Mark 5, 16, the story continues. Those who had, been, uh, who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. I read this and I'm like, my mind is exploding. Why would you have the man who sets people free leave? Because let's be honest, some people, they don't want to be free. And they don't want God's influence in their life. They want to continue to blame people. And they want to continue to do what they want to do. And as long as Jesus is on the scene, the enemy has to flee. So instead of the enemy fleeing, they want Jesus to leave. Then the people began to plead for him to leave. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, I love this. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I can just see this. Jesus is saying goodbye. And this man who had spent years naked and confused, cutting himself, living among the dead in the graveyard, confused out of his mind, he runs to Jesus and he's holding on to Jesus and he's begging, take me with you. I just want to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to be wherever you are. I want to travel with you. I want to be your disciple. And he just begged. He begged him. He pleaded with him. I love this image. It's so powerful. I can see it. Verse 19, Jesus said, uh, Jesus did not let him go, but he said this, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the people in Decapolis, which is a 10-city Greek metro area. He became one of the first evangelists. And he began to tell people how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. They began to respond. I want you to write down this, the last thing, is that we are to spread this message of freedom. We don't have a message of fear. Our message is not Jesus gets you out of hell. Our message is Jesus gives you life and life abundant and loves you and cares for you. Oh, and by the way, you don't go to hell. Our motivation is not fear. The Bible says it's your loving kindness, oh God, that leads us to repentance. Guys, the devil, fear, all these kind of things that we try to preach and pound. And, you know, you don't go to hell. It's going to be terrible. The devil's there wringing your neck and stuff. No, he's not. The devil's here. He, he, he's a liar. Jesus is Lord over hell. And he is a tormentor. And he doesn't want you to worship him. The devil just wants you to not worship God. And the devil will try to stop us from doing this message and sharing this message of freedom. Jesus crushed the head of the enemy on the cross. On the cross, Jesus crushed him. And this is our message. This is what we preach. This is why we're here. Not motivated by fear, but by freedom. 
Christians understand Satan's power, but never fear him. The grave is empty. Satan and sin's power, the sting of death, hell, and the grave are all defeated. Satan's final fate, Satan is going straight to hell. That's his final fate. That's where he will spend eternity. So why does he continue to wage war against humanity? Even though he knows his end is possibly coming near? I don't know. But maybe it's because of his intense hatred for God and his intense hatred for you. Maybe it's his pride and arrogance. Or maybe, as he's deceived many of you, he himself is deceived. All Satan does is oppose God's work. All we have to do is align with Jesus' work. His victory is our victory. His power is our power. I want to end with this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples at one time to, to set people free from demonic activity and gave them the power to cast out devils and demons. And this is what he said. 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, Jesus said, well, I saw, <laughs> I said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like, like Jesus, we saw demons come out of people. Yeah, well, I saw the devil fall from heaven. Like, you ain't seen nothing, right? You ain't seen nothing. That's what he's saying. He says, I have given you authority. This is you, disciple. If you are a follower of Christ, listen, God has given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you spiritually. However, this is the key. Do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is our story. Not that we have prideful arrogance in control over the enemy, but we have a name that is above every name that we submit to, and that is the name of Jesus. And our name is now next to his name in heaven. I want to pray for you. Rejoice, Christian. You are free. And if you're not a Christian, rejoice because freedom is here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you didn't leave us in chains. God, you didn't leave us in our fear and anxiety and sin and addiction, but God, you came, you walked into the beaches of our life, into our home and into our churches and into our family and God, into our workplace. God, thank you, Jesus, that you're walking among us setting people free today. And God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that if there's anyone here bound by the chains of the enemy, that they would first bow the knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. Because God, once you fill us with your spirit, there's nothing the enemy can do against us. I will be aware of his power and his might, the enemy's power and might, but I will not be afraid of him. Because I have the Lord God who is victorious and in my camp. We've already won. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, um, I'm going to be available after service. Sam's going to be down here. I'm going to be down here. A couple of our leaders will be down here. And if you would like to know more about Jesus, maybe give your life to Jesus today, we'd like to give you that opportunity. Just come down and talk to one of us and let the chains fall off your life once and for all. Amen. All right. Let me have the ushers come forward as we close the service. And I want to uh, remind the ushers, um, if one of you could remind um, uh, Mike Walls, 
that I'm going to, we're going to pass out the invite cards. So those little blue cards that I showed you, white and blue cards, you can go ahead and pass the offering. Um, on your way out, be sure to get one of those blue and white cards. They'll be at the door. Um, Mike Walls has them. Uh, Bob, you'll just need to let them know or Irene. All right, as the offering is being passed, let's pray for it. God, thank you. God, you're supplying the needs of our church. God, I pray that you put it on our people's heart to be generous and to give their tithe and their offering. And, Lord, to worship you with what you've given them. And, God, I thank you, Lord, that you're providing for our church. And, Lord, I pray that we would start this month off strong in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.